This is Eric Luton, pastor of the church at Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. The ministry of Ellerslie endeavors to once again see triumphant Christianity stride upon the stage of time, to see the church of Jesus Christ built strong to stand immovable in these times of sinking sand. We hope this podcast is an encouragement to your soul. If you would like to stream live or visit us in person or even support us financially, please go to ellersley.com to learn more. I am in a series on revival. I, I don't know that it fits what I would have called a series on revival, so it's funny. I'm Eric Ludi in a series on revival, and yet I don't know that I would have thought of going through this series on revival. And I, I'm not going to change the series title because I actually think it is the core of what causes revival. It's just different. It's just funny because if I was, I've taught on revival before and it was totally different than this. And so I guess I always feel a little awkward. It's like, yeah, this is part, what is it, six of my series, Revival of a Nation, even though this wasn't what I was expecting to give for that. I crave a greater strength in our country. I do. Just like all of you do. I crave to see us veer away from the edge of the cliff of destruction and head towards righteousness. I do. But there is something that I crave more, and that's been important for me. It's like that algebraic order of operations. I want to make sure that I'm, I'm doing it properly. Like if you're going to solve a riddle, uh, a mathematical riddle, uh, you need to make sure you do your parentheses first. Then you do your exponents. Then you do your multiplication. Then your division. Then your addition. Then your subtraction. In my soul, I want to do the same. Say I want to get this country right. Well, it doesn't start with picketing in Washington, D.C. It starts almost with me listening to the outcry in my own soul of the Holy Spirit picketing (laughs) inside, saying, hey, but what about this? There's certain things that we can do as the saints of God. It's It's a fascinating phenomenon. But if we have any strength in our spiritual life, it can oftentimes cloak points of weakness. In other words, I'm really good at this. And as a result, you hide in that corner of your strength and overlook or strategically cover over or blur over, make some noise around the areas that you are currently weak. Especially when someone comes up to you and says, you are really good in this area. Thank you. And it can actually create a buffer between you and the Holy Spirit actually getting into those corners of your life that are actually creating hazards that undermine the effectiveness of you as an individual and us as a body. And so in a sense, the nation of Israel is in a place where it's ready to have a new beginning. You remember when, when they crossed the Red Sea? I'm sorry, crossed the Jordan River. Sorry, we're a different season. They're crossing the Jordan River and they have Jericho in front of them. And they are going to decimate Jericho. I mean, it's an exciting season of new beginnings. But there is a simple request, and that is, you know, all the golds, the silver, the precious jewels, that that belongs to God. And, you know, we have our guy who's going to take his little contraband out of that and hide it uh, in his tent, Achan. And Achan's sin, though it be an individual sin, actually is going to affect a nation. Isn't that interesting? And I think there's a principle in that. First of all, you can look at it at the individual level. Imagine that you are Israel, and you're moving forward, but you have a little contraband in this little corner in one of your tents. That can actually hinder your overall fight, your overall ability to win. 
Secondly, it affects the local body. It affects a family. If, you have some, if, if someone in your family is walking in deliberate disobedience, it can actually impact the whole family. Any of you have ever gone through that? And it's called child raising, uh, too. In other words, but if a, if a dad could be the one with the problem, he could be the one with the issue, and it could be just something like busyness. And that little blind spot could actually infect the whole family where the whole family has a damper pedal over its ability to move forward because of these things, these, this contraband that comes out that maybe seems justified in the moment, but boy, it is directly against the purposes of God, and it can actually hinder the overall effectiveness of this military maneuver. And so when I'm saying I care about our nation, and I care that it be steered towards righteousness, I do. But there's something I care about more than that, and that is the church of Jesus Christ be steered towards righteousness. But there's something I care about even more than that, practically speaking, and that is that we in here are steered towards righteousness. It's really a strange thought for me to think more about the church out there and forget about us here, right? That would be a bad thought. Well, how about this, that my own family is steered towards righteousness. Wouldn't it be funny if I'm deeply concerned about you guys, but then I fail to consider my own family's need for health? And then, how about this? What about my own marriage? Well, I mean, I could be spending all this time with my family with my kids, but my marriage also needs to be tended. And you guys see where I'm going beyond this? How about my own walk with God? You see, if each of us were to allow this order of operations to come in, and we were to say, okay, God, If I have anything hidden in any tent in my land, I would like for Joshua to go through and get it out. I would like Joshua and Jesus, same name, sorry, to do that to you. In my mind, it's a total synonymous uh, statement. I desire to win the battle of I, the next thing in front of me. You know that the overall nation is going to win when you deal with the small things. But if you don't deal with the small things well, the whole nation loses. And so if we want a nation to turn in a different direction, as an individual in our own mechanics inside, in the tents inside of us, the little holes in the ground that we may have things buried, that we need to allow God to actually enter in and expose it. This message is called The Four Events, and that will make sense as we progress. Uh, I think this will be a well, I'm hoping, for me and for you, it's a potentially very powerful message. So, it's funny, when I see this, Steve, on the screen, I think of you. I don't know why. We've, it's probably because we've had multiple conversations about it, and you're one of the few people on earth that probably has the guts to actually have the conversation on this and face it. And that, we call it the impossible life. Leslie and I have used this term. Before Ellerslie started, we talked about what's called the impossible life. And that is... What do we believe a Christian is called to? I believe that the Christian is called to do something that is impossible. In other words, in my own human grit, willpower, determination, I cannot muster the Christian life. It's actually beyond me. And yet, even though it's beyond me, it's expected of me. That's unfair. That is unfair. Well, you could say it that way unless you understand the cross. The cross is God saying, I know you can't do it, here you go. 
He gives us everything we need for life and godliness. He's, he gives us himself. He gives us his Holy Spirit. He gives us the difference maker. So yes, I acknowledge you and I can't do it, but there is someone who can do it. Now, this is a difficult meditation. I, I've faced it head on. I'm just going to, okay, I, I'm going into this meditation, the impossible life. What is the impossible life? And I don't actually think this fully reaches it, but I'm going to sort of do the old flashback in time uh, type of a thing uh, to this. Uh, Major Ian Thomas says this one line. I had to get Nathan to give me the quote. I, I had this like shadow of it, and I was like, okay, it says something like this. This is a great quote, and, and it was hard for Nathan even to share. It's like, what are you going to do with my favorite quote? This is like one of his all-time favorite quotes. So hopefully I treat your favorite quote well, Nathan. Major Ian Thomas says this, the Christian life can be explained only in terms of Jesus. And if your life as a Christian can still be explained in terms of you, your personality, your willpower, your gift, your talent, your money, your courage, your scholarship, your dedication, your sacrifice, or your anything, then although you may have the Christian life, you are not yet living it. True godliness leaves the world convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that the only explanation for you is Jesus. In other words, if someone's going to look at our life, they should have one explanation. That is, there's no way a human could do that. It's only Jesus that could do that. We're going to call it the grace gap. So the grace gap, here's where we're at down here. This is where we live. Even in your, your best of times, your best of attitudes, your best of health, your best of intentions, you're still way down here. And there's a ceiling to it. There, there's just something that the human life cannot go beyond. It cannot produce heavenly righteousness. It cannot produce heavenly love. It cannot produce heavenly joy. It cannot do what God has required of us. It cannot behave as God. That's way up here. God behaviors way up here, but wait a minute. How could God command me to behave as he behaves? Doesn't that just seem rude? That's, that's mean. That he would say, I know you can't do it, but you must. Welcome to the law of God. The law of God is going to expose something. It's called sin. We're down here. And God's saying, but I'm up here. What are you guys doing down there? You see, this down here is not God behavior. It is other than God. He's like, hey, I'm up here. He's holy. We're unholy. We're not as he is. And so as a result, there is something between, I'm going to call that the grace gap. Who makes up the difference? Is it you in your own efforts in keeping the law? Is that what's going to get you up through here? That's been proven. True. You cannot make that work, which is why you need something from heaven. It's not you from earth reaching up to heaven. It's God from heaven reaching down and lifting you up. And that's, of course, the gospel. So the grace gap, the acknowledged difference between what you are physically capable of doing and God's high calling on your life. Now I'm going to emphasize a word, the acknowledged difference. One of the keys for us as Christians is to acknowledge, I'm not like God. He is other than me. He is holy, I am not. I have issues. I am clay. I am weak. Okay, you're getting somewhere. Keep going in that direction. I can't do it, all right, all right? But you don't crash in that direction. What you do is you run into the grace. And God says, but. Keep going, Eric. But 
But God, though I'm weak, you are strength. Though I can't, you can. Though I cannot muster this, you can muster it. Your grace has done it for me. And you, can, you will ever live to make intercession, which is the gap filling, in my life. So that I can actually live a life that otherwise would be impossible. Christianity. So there's my little picture of the grace gap. I made it sort of a goldish color. For those of you getting this via podcast, you're missing just a really wonderful illustration here. So at the very top, you see heavenly behavior, humanly impossible. At the bottom, you see earthly behavior, humanly possible. This is where Olympians run into. They run into the ceiling of the grace gap. But we, we celebrate it big arenas together. We put it on uh, worldwide television, and we cheer. In other words, there is something that humans can do, but it's not what God has commanded us to do. God didn't command us to run a 100-meter you know, sprint in less than 10 seconds, and then we could go to heaven. If that was the case, all of us would labor in these physical bodies to accomplish something that actually is possible. <laughs> Some of us are like, not for me, it's not. Okay, uh, granted, if we were to say, you need to run 100 meters under 17 seconds, then most of us would be like, I can do that, right? And yet that's not how the kingdom of heaven works. It's not by what men can do. It's not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And so, you see this grace gap, and a great definition of grace is God working. It's God working on our behalf. It's God doing something for us that we couldn't do for ourselves. And so this is what saves us. The cross is God working on our behalf. That's a picture of grace. But how are you supposed to live today? You need God working on your behalf. This is how it works. Grace isn't past tense. Grace is present tense. He ever lives to make intercession for us. He will save us to the uttermost. This is him working in us. So 1 Corinthians 15, 10, but by the grace of God I am what I am, says Paul, and his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. So what is laboring to make Paul, Paul? It's the grace of God that is laboring in Paul, through Paul. Ephesians 2.8, for by grace are you saved through faith. When we believe in Jesus, what is saving? What's doing the saving? It's God working on our behalf. God is the one doing the work. God is the one that elevates our life from humanly possible to God possible. This is something that is at the cornerstone of Christianity. Now, I'm only just setting a, a stage for this because what I want us to do is Get the fog bank out of our life of justification of why we're not living up here. And I, sometimes we just need to have a fresh house cleaning on this point. And the guy talking to you needs a fresh house cleaning. Just like anyone, I can end up in the same thing where I could be living up here in this area, living up here in this area, and then in this area, I'm in human effort trying to say, God, I'm hanging on for dear life trying to make this happen. And so as a fresh message to all of us, starting with myself, I just want to remember how Christianity works. And I, remember, I want to remember what the expectations of it are, and they're not weighty. God's the one carrying that weight. He's the one that says, would you let me elevate your life? It's like, God, I'm fine, I'm fine. Leave, leave that little stash of, uh, of treasure alone. 
Uh, that's why you're losing over here, though. What is my you know, little treasure in, in my tent over here have to do with the battle of I? You see, every single one of us could be indicted at a certain level for what's happening in this country. At a certain level, it's unfair to blame this particular group of people for the demise of our country. And I get that, right? And it would sort of bother me if you said, Eric, it's your fault. It's like, what? It's not my fault, but at a certain level, it is. Because we are participants in and through our weakness and in and through our imperfections. And even though, yes, culpably, I'm not responsible, I'm not the one that made the decisions. If you gave me control of this nation, I'm steering it immediately away from the direction it's going, right? However, there are aspects of my life that are not in tune fully with the pattern of God. And that's where it needs to start here. It's not to justify and say, I'm innocent, God, they're the problem. It's to say, God, okay, okay. Start here. What needs to be changed here? Is there anything in any one of my tents, anything that needs to be sought out? So the six arenas of the Christian man's life. So this is what I did years ago. That's why I think I always think of Steve. It was first semester Ellerslie. I think Josh was here. We had this message called The Impossible Life. The six arenas of the Christian man's life. God. A heaven-come-to-earth devotional life with his God. So imagine that I put this weight on you. All right, this week, here's how you're going to live. And if you don't live this way, you're wrong. You're wrong with God. I want you to have a world-class, heaven-come-to-earth relationship with God this week. Okay, and if you read some of the classics, like with Reese Howells, you know, he's spending 11 to 13 hours a day praying. All right, that. <laughs> I mean, the weight, the standard of this is so high, so epic, so marvelous that you could almost feel rather small to start out our list. This is just the first thing on the list. It's okay. It's okay to feel very small. In fact, that's the beginnings of the power of the gospel. I can't do that, God. He goes, bingo. You want to grow up in your maturity with me. You have to recognize I'm the one that needs to do it in you. Wife or spouse. Okay, this is talking about a man, right? So the wife, a fairy tale, intimate. I don't know why I have un, un. A fairy tale intimate relationship with his wife. I want you to have the greatest marriage on earth this week, a heaven come to earth marriage. Now, if you're married, you recognize like Preston and Abby have a little bit of an advantage because they don't have a lot of water under the bridge, right? Uh, that creates those you know, things that always trigger this response. And it's like, well, you have to watch that landmine. You have to do it. You just get issues over time, right? And you have to work through them. And sometimes it's easier just to say, okay, let's not even get close to that anymore. Let's just go way over here and let's totally avoid this. But no, that's not an option this week. You need to have a, a heaven come to earth marriage this week. All those landmines totally removed. Okay, that's a lot of pressure, right? And the first thing you're going to think, if you're a guy, because I'm a guy, I can't think about this from the, the woman's side, is you can't get that done in a week. That's Okay. But do you recognize who can begin to do this work? You see, the, it starts with saying, do you believe your God actually cares enough to deal with it? Do you think he's interested in that? I do. Okay, your job isn't to pull it off. Your job is to yield yourself to God and say, God, you begin it. Kids, a world-class investment into the lives of his children. And I don't know if you've ever been around one of those dads that just has that down. But it really is convicting. 
It was just like, oh, I just, you know, I've had a date night with my, each of my kids each day this week and just been profound. I've been pouring into them. I have a, you know, this big project. I've worked for each of my kids and, you know, I've been investing in them. And <laughs> I mean, you just start to feel thinner and thinner as the guy's talking. It's everything you esteem, but you don't know how to even start or even begin. You can esteem it all day long. It's like the grace gap. I go, whoa. But that's no excuse. Guys, that's what you're doing this week. Okay, I want all of these checked off next week. We're coming in and we're gonna have a report card on this. Okay, I don't mind you feeling really small. That's the whole point of this message. It's to recognize the gap. It's to acknowledge the gap and to recognize how the gap is met. Friends and family, you need to be kind, consistent, honorable, and thoughtful in your remembrance and service unto your friends and extended family members. Number five, business. You need to be uncompromising in your excellence and diligence in your business dealings and your financial investments. We're gonna check all your financial portfolios at the end of the week and make sure that everything was handled to perfection. To reveal the kingdom of heaven, if someone examined just your financial life, they would behold the gospel. And they would see God Almighty and we would all stand in awe. You ever been around one of those guys that handles his money so well that he talks about it a lot? Uh, he likes to bring up, you know, the fact that, you know, he has no debt over here. He doesn't do this over here. And I tell you what, it can be deeply convicting <laughs> if you're around people that are so strong in an area that you aren't. It's like, oh, that's good. Praise God for that. But the whole while you're like, please don't ask me a question if it's the same for me. You see, the key is, and this is how I presented this 10 years ago or 11 years ago, whenever that was, is I said a man actually can, even as a Christian man, oftentimes be strong in certain areas here. But I said, yeah, you can pick 2.5 of them, and he could be great in them. But six, he's going to have weaknesses. We as men try and cover them up. We don't, I don't have any weaknesses. And so we just don't emphasize or talk about the areas that we're not doing well. We have a tendency to emphasize the ones we are. Ministry. Hudson Taylor like given us to the preaching of the gospel and the practical rescue of the lost, the dying, the orphans, the widows around him. Guys, you are ready to serve. You are a machine. This is all part of the challenge that we are facing. Is the standard is so high, but we can't pull it off. And even as strong Christians, we have a lot of strong Christians in this room, and yet we are unable and ill-equipped in and of ourselves to match the demand. So I'm going to just emphasize this line, Major Ian Thomas, although you may have the Christian life, you are not yet living it. So imagine that you have a zone in your life where you are very strong. You're like, I'm living it. I'm living it right here. But what about this area? And so what I want is I want to allow the Spirit of God to actually search our tents and to not excuse any dimension of our life, not because I'm looking to bring condemnation. I actually want to bring encouragement to recognize that God wants to just elevate our life. He wants to lift us out of a stagnant position. The places of strength often strategically shroud the places of neglect. When you have a place of strength, you have a tendency to emphasize that, even in your teaching. When you're teaching others, you have a tendency to bring that area up because it's your strength. And yet what I would like us to do is allow God to touch the areas of weakness not the areas of strength. And we're not looking for pat on the back in this message. We're actually looking to sharpen. So if, if we were in a sport and we had a great strength in one area of the sport, but in the other area we were weak, what part would we need to work on? What would our coach tell us? 
He wouldn't just pat us on the back saying, yeah, your free throws are great when you can't, every time you dribble, it goes off your foot. You know, we're like, we're going to work on some dribbling. You're going to take the weak point of your game because that could cost the team the game. If you, every time you get the ball, you turn the ball over because you dribble it off your foot, that's a big deal. I don't care if you can make free throws. If you're going to do that, we need to deal with that. But however, if you're a great free throw shooter, guess what you're talking about every time? 100%. Once again, last game, 10 for 10. Yeah? How many turnovers? Well, 52, but that doesn't matter. The hypnotic powers of self-justification. What I want to do is I just want to allow the Spirit of God to blow through here and blow away all self-justification. I don't want us to have our guard up. I genuinely want us to say, God, start with me. There's t- I remember when I was in missionary school, someone said it this way. There's two ways to approach God. One is like this. God, show me what's inside of me. And this one, like the cross position. Show me what's inside of me. The first one, obviously, you can say the right words, but you really don't want God to show you anything. God, I'm really not that interested in seeing it, but I'm going to say the right words. Show me what's inside of me. Show me what needs to be corrected. The other one is surrendered. It's given. It trusts that God is a good father. It trusts that the Holy Spirit is good. That though it can be painful, he actually is aimed towards the same end that you are, which is Jesus. So we're going to go a foray, is what I'm calling it, a foray into the world of gymnastics. Now, Eric is not a gymnast. Uh, I actually don't know that much about gymnastics, which has been shocking, because I have a daughter who is like a gymnastics wizard, and she knows all about gymnastics, is always saying these uh, names of moves. Uh, what's that, uh, Abby, what's the name of that one that you called a, like a my? Uh, it was a your a Yurchenko, and so she was working on her Yurchenko, and at first she didn't know what that was, and so she called, she, she said to her coach, I'm going to work on my Chenko, uh, and, you know, because it makes sense, but it's actually, it's a name of someone named Yurchenko, but how many of you knew about a Yurchenko? Oh, don't raise your hand, because I'm sure there's some smart people, and it's like, I've, I've been doing Yurchenkos for years. However, Many of us probably are gymnastics illiterates. We know certain things, you know, because of the Olympics and we, we've watched certain things, but there's a lot of detail in gymnastics that I knew nothing about, right? I'm not going to teach this on gymnastics. I would be a bad person to do it. But there was something that happened this past week that was very intriguing for me and in how it matched something that God was doing. So I'm just going to walk us through that. So it was Abby's last meet competition, it was sort of, COVID uh, driven. It was really funny. One parent could come. You had to sit on an X uh, square with your own chair. You can't use it in one of their chairs. It has to be your own chair that you bring. And you can't move from that X spot. And only one parent, by the way. And then for the award ceremony, uh, it was all outside. And it was gusting winds. <laughs> They're outside in this freezing cold weather. And they skipped all of the awards. Like they usually give individual event awards because there's four events in gymnastics. And so they usually would give individual awards. But in this one, it's like, it's too cold out here. We're skipping all of that. We're just going to do an all-around award. And what's interesting is an all-around award exposes something. Because you could be really good on one of the events But if they're not giving out individual medals, it doesn't matter how good you are in that one event, it's how good you are in the all-around, how good you are in all four events. And I thought that was very intriguing because it was matching something God was speaking to me. And that is that I don't want to shroud or cloud out these other areas of my life where God wants to bring in a very clear conviction. And he wants to bring grace. 
But for whatever reason, we have a tendency over time, even though there are certain seasons where I've been like wide open in those areas, it's like, God, do whatever you want. Give me grace for this area. Over time, it's like, okay, I don't have enough time for that, so I'm going to now justify it. God just knows that. So instead of saying God infuse it, it's God knows that. And as a result, it becomes a subtle compromise that doesn't have to be some extreme thing where the, you know, I'm you know, Hitler, it's, but it's a small thing that can lead to a breakdown of a victory over I. And as a result, I want to be sharp so I win the all around and not just the floor exercise. Boy, I got that one. I mean, I got a 9.97 on my floor exercise. I'm feeling pretty good. Yeah, Eric, I think you got a 4.25 on your beam. Yeah, but, you know, uh, I still got the gold medal in the floor exercise. Yeah, but we're not giving out medals for the floor exercise. What? what do you, wait a minute. What do, you, what do you mean you're not giving out medals for the floor exercise? It's the all around. So we sort of need to figure in the, <coughs> the bar with it. What? We don't need to even consider the bar. Can't we eliminate that event? That's, in a sense, how some of us have been approaching this, where we have certain pockets in our life where instead of feeling condemnation, we need to just open them up and say, God, this area right here, I would like you to freshly invade it. So winning the all around, what if the individual event medals just disappeared? So the four events in gymnastics, floor, beam, vault, and bars. See, look at, you guys have already learned something right there. Isn't that uh, amazing? We could stop right now. You're like, I was very edified. I learned about the four events of gymnastics. Now, the reason I'm doing this is because, you know, I, I was showing you the six dimensions of like a man's life. I'm going to sort of break those into four and just sort of make it the gymnastics uh, metaphor for us. So imagine that we looked at these four events and the floor was like your relationship with God. The beam was like your relationships with, the fa- with your family. The vault was like your finances and practical living. And the bars was sharing Jesus with the world. It's not one area that's important. It's all four but well-balanced. It's the all-around. I think we all know that. This is what we desire is to showcase Jesus, not in one little pocket of our life if people squint and only see us right here and right now, but that if someone could follow us around every moment of every day, they would behold the life of Jesus. That's what we crave. That's what we desire. So walking through the last 11 months, these last 11 months, I think for many of us in here, though If you look out there, uh, there's a lot of complaining about the last uh, 11 months. Uh, And I think for most of us, we've landed our feet on, sorry to use a gymnastics uh, metaphor, we've landed on our feet, we've stuck it, uh, on the fact that these last 12 months or 11 months, I think it's 11 months still, right, yeah, have been a gift. Now, we're not happy with certain things that have happened, don't get me wrong, I'm not like applauding of some of the events and some of the decisions, some of the control tactics that are taking place. However, it has been a wake-up for all of us. It has been a sharpening for all of us. It has been refinement for all of us. It's been like a pruning for all of us. And as a result, what happens after refinement is you have something more pure. What happens after pruning is you have greater fruit. What happens after a sharpening is you have a sharpened pencil. I mean, hey, this is good. Now I can really get down to business. And so... I'm going to say, for me personally, it's a heightened demand for constant sharpness, dogged faith, and ceaseless rejoicing. There's certain exercises in my soul that I've become even sharper at. These have always been a part of, of my life. If you were to follow me around for the last 11 years since Ellerslie started, I'm going to be talking about 
constant sharpness, dogged faith, and ceaseless rejoicing. You need to be watchful over your soul. You need to stand firm, fast, and you need to always have the faith. When the enemy comes in, you know how to push back, and you need to rejoice at every turn. However, when you go through some of the things we've gone through, it'll test those things. That's exactly what you want. You want to be tested in these things. You want to be proven. A gymnastics tournament is very stressful for a parent. I'm just gonna, just gonna say it up front. Because everything has to be perfect. I mean, it's ridiculous. I, I mean, I'm almost mad at the thing. It's like, you're just giving one shot at that? And if they stumble a little and lean a little, you deduct them points? As a parent, it's very irritating. It's like, that. come on, that girl moved a little more than Abby did. That's ridiculous. Uh, and yet, there is. It's sort of like the law of God. That's, that's almost what it's like, but it's, it's, a, it's a rather tense thing. But when you go into those competitions, guess what? You have to focus. As the athlete, the amount of focus you have to have in, is very similar to the way I have to live my Christian life. And that's what stood out to me. In every situation all throughout the day, I actually have to have certain things very present in my mind. Faith, rejoicing, sharpness, the enemy's trying to disturb me. He's trying to distract me. News distracts me. Nope, I'm not staring at that. Nope, I'm not considering that right now. Keep my mind fixed on this. No, I'm not going in that direction, foreboding the future. If this happens, Eric, but what about this? Nope, Jesus is in my future. It's going to be good. I have a great future with Jesus. I mean, literally, it is a doggedness that I have to have in my soul to maintain sharpness to lead my life, to lead my family, and to lead the church, and to lead the church out there. I have a responsibility, but if I'm going to win in this, I can't take it lightly. I'm not sitting in the stands watching someone on the beam. I am on the beam. So how do you live life on the beam? We're like, I mean, one small move. We had a tournament or a competition yesterday, and I, I would say 80% of the girls fell off the beam at least once. I don't know if that's normal. It seemed abnormal of how many people were unbalanced yesterday. But it was like, it's difficult. I'm like feeling like I'm falling off the beam just watching them. It's like, well, I don't know how I would stay on the beam. I mean, doing flips and doing, around, doing these things. How would I stay on the beam? I understand why they're falling off the beam. You can't fall off the beam. You know that that's a point deduction just right there? There is no way you're going to win the all around if you fall off the beam once. In, your, in the whole competition, someone falls off the beam all around, already gone, right there. But that's like serious. Well, that's the way I feel in my soul. Eric, stay on the beam. There's, there's no, I don't give a lot of latitude for myself to fall off beams anyways, right? I mean, I'm pretty, uh, I know where Abby gets it because it's, it's right in here. It's a very strong desire to win this thing. Eric has a competitive sign. I don't know if any of you have ever picked up on it. Uh, but I desire to win, but I've had to give that up when it comes to like earthly competitions. Like, oh, who cares about that? But I recognize God has given me a doggedness to say, I want to finish this race. I want to win this thing. But then I have to recognize that it doesn't come from down here in the human zone. It comes from heaven. Okay, God, if we're going to do this right, I need you to give it to me. Walking into a gymnastics competition, a heightened demand for constant sharpness, dogged tightness, and ceaseless gracefulness. This is interesting because I just mentioned three things that I have to always have. And if you go into a gymnastics competition, they are being measured on three things 
constantly. Every single movement is being evaluated on three things. And that is sharpness. Every move has to be tight, has to be sharp. Tightness is a very specific term that they use in gymnastics for the form of the body that it has no looseness and it's like boom it is in position it knows exactly where it's supposed to be and it's there and then gracefulness isn't it funny you have to be all that in it but it's not mechanical it has to be graceful i can't do it by the way if you're looking if you're thinking this is what gymnastics looks like you're wrong uh, <laughs> uh there's abby hey abby what's your doll's name there Toodles. So she has her doll, Toodles, in the picture. Toodles has Down syndrome. So she has a Down, Abby loves Down syndrome. So uh, she has a Down syndrome doll. Isn't that about as, as cute as it gets? Uh, but that's Toodles. And there's Abby, who's 11. And this is a quote, okay? Daddy, there are three things that I always need to focus on when I enter a competition. I need to be graceful, strong, and tight in every single movement. So she sits down at the table, dinner table, and she's just like saying this. And I was so fascinated because I'm thinking, that is exactly, I mean, I, it's not the way that I would say it, right, about the Christian life, but even think about the word graceful. I need to be full of grace. I need to be strong and I need to be tight in my movements. If I'm gonna maintain balance in this, I need to be like a gymnast that is entering into a very, very intense competition to make it through this out the other side. And everything matters. And that's the point I want to bring up in this is you can tell the difference between a gymnast who takes it seriously and one who doesn't. If you don't take it seriously, you don't have the same tightness. It is very interesting to watch. I could go through and watch a, a competition and I could guess. Yeah, they're probably joker, jokesters. They're, they're not taking it seriously. Their parents want them here. And then you can see the other ones that are like, we're going to win this thing. And it's an attitude of intensity. One that says, if there is sin in, in one of my tents, I want it out. Because if there's sin there, I'm not gonna win this. I'm gonna fall off the beam. Well, let's get that out then. Purge it out of my life because I want to get that all around. So when Abby faces the beam, this is what she says to herself. So it's interesting because this is how, when I face certain situations in my life, I actually talk to myself. Like, okay. Here's how we're gonna do this. And I have very specific, it's like a laundry list of things that I am very aware of. It's fascinating because, you know, I've never been a gymnast. So I don't, and when you're a soccer player, I was a soccer player, you don't do the same thing. I mean, you do, but in a very general way, like, uh, I'm trying to think, you know, make sure you get back in time, don't go get off sides, make sure you keep your feet on the ground. You throw, even if you played soccer, you're like, you don't actually think those things, you just do them. But in gymnastics, you have to be so focused and you have to have a very, very sharp thought process in regards to these things. Your mind, your mind can't be about don't fall, don't fall, don't fall. Which as Christians, many of us are like, don't fall, don't fall, don't fall. There's things that cause you not to fall. That's what you focus on. Abby, be graceful, sharp, and tight. You're gonna notice each of the events, she says the same thing to herself. Abby, be graceful, sharp, and tight. Go in a straight line, point those toes, keep your chest up, and stay on the beam. And so, and some of you are like, I think the last one's obvious, but at the same time, it's like there is a, have you ever walked on one of those beams? I cannot imagine doing anything on one of those other than just trying to walk to the other side and somehow survive, let alone doing little flips and, you know, things that they're doing. I mean, it's like, whoa, it was very tense, guys. Vault, 
Abby, be graceful, sharp, and tight. Run hard. Put all your power into that vault board. Point those toes. She is deliberately thinking these things through. Now, the reason I'm bringing this up is because there are certain zones in our life where we do not have sharpened thoughts. We have certain zones like you're in this call. This is a big deal. You need to make the sale. And so you have your, your thoughts. You, know, you do this, do this. You make sure you ask this question. You know, bring it all the way. You're really good at it. But then you go home and you're not as tight. And when your child does this one thing, you lose it. And so as a result, you don't have the sharpness. You're not thinking, all right, when I engage my family tonight, keep my toes straight, <laughs> keep my you know, form tight, be graceful. And so as a result, you're caught off guard and you lose your balance. And when that one thing happens, you fall for it again. Because you are not thinking it through and appropriate in the grace of God to apply to it. Floor, Abby, be graceful, sharp, and tight. Extra tight, tight, tight for round off back hamstring. Point those toes, graceful, graceful, graceful. Constant power, keep every movement sharp. And then for the bars, Abby, be graceful, sharp, and tight. Stay focused all the way through. Leave the bar with graceful power. Nail that flyaway, stick that landing. So it's very, very specific things to focus on. Now, for some of us, we have zones of our life where we are very sharp. The reason I'm bringing this message up isn't actually for those areas. You may be really good on the floor routine, but you are lacking tightness and sharpness and you are loose in your bars. And you're not taking it seriously, but you're not considering the all around. You're like, but I'm really good on the floor exercise. And I'm gonna say, yes, but we're not given a medal for that anymore. Now we're going to measure as a whole so that none of us can hide behind that cloak of being excellent in one area and justify weakness in another. I want the Spirit of God to reach us in these areas. These are called presumptuous sins, by the way, in Scripture. Psalm 19, 13, keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. Gideon's 9,700 at the water's edge. Remember he ended up with 300? There was 10,000. There were 9,700 that are going to have presumption. That's what they're going to do. They don't understand. I mean, what, 22,000 left because of fear. Hey, I'm pretty good. I didn't leave because of fear. And that's too much. God's going to refine them down at the water's edge. And the difference between how the two parties are going to be divided has to do with presumption. Because one group is going to bend down and cup it and bring it to their mouth. The other is going to lap it face to the ground. What's the difference? Well, you got an enemy on the hillside. And those that keep the watchfulness over their life are the ones he's going to pick. All right? You kept your eyes open, head up. You're with me. You see, that sharpness is going to separate out the different classes. I want to win in this, as do you. I want, to I want to be part of Gideon's 300. There's nothing to brag about if you were a part of the 9,700 that made the first cut but missed the second cut. I don't want to be in that category. God, I want to be one of the 300. Well, then, Eric, keep your eyes open when you go into this zone. When you go into this, but that's not that important compared to this, it matters to me. It's one tent, but one tent in so many. God, what about my other tents that have nothing in them? We're not talking about those. We're talking about this one. Oh, God. That's because he loves us. The five virgins without presumption all have time somewhere in the future to get the oil for my lamp. And they didn't. 
You see, for us, the oil needs to be there right now. We need to be sharp and tight right now. We are on the bar. We are on the beam. We are on the floor right now. There's a great cloud of witnesses. They don't have masks and they're not sitting on you know, their little spot in their uh, borrowed chair. In, in heaven, I think it's a lot better seating and no masks. Did you guys hear that? I'm making a statement. That was a theological statement about masks right there. You know, I don't believe in heaven we're going to have masks. Did you hear that, David? <clears throat> the nine lepers that didn't supply a thank you note, presumptuous. They receive something, but they're not going to leverage it for its ultimate purpose. We have received grace. One guy is going to turn around and recognize what it's really all about. Thank you. In other words, to not misuse what we have, have received, which is tremendous, but to make sure we leverage it towards its end. Jesus, this is for you. My life, what you've done for me is so good. Here I am. Didn't you have nine other buddies uh, that were with you? <laughs> in other words, there's so much potential to forsake these little small things in our life. So I'm saying that didn't supply a thank you note. You know how easy it is, I, I could tell you in, in my world, to not supply a thank you note. I mean, it is, it is an exercise to be able to stay sharp. I mean, wedding invites and you know little cards that I get about people's graduations, they could stack up in my office and I could see them six, eight months later because I have so much to deal with. And I could justify that and say, well, you know what? That's just sort of the way it is when you have this much mail. And yet that one person that sent it, how, how does it affect them? See, that small movement, actually, if I see that, it actually is a point of grace applied to someone's soul. Eric Ludy has a lot on his plate, and so things can fall through the cracks. I could justify that, or I could say, God, I think I need another measure of grace. I need to know how to live this life sharp in each of these areas. 2 Kings 13, 18 through 19. This is another uh, picture of presumption. Then he, Elisha, said, take the arrows. So he took them, and he said to Joash, the king of Israel, strike the ground. So he struck three times and stopped. And the man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck five or six times. Then you would have struck Syria till you had destroyed it, but now you will strike Syria only three times. I, I know, it's a totally strange story. How did he know to strike five or six times? I think the same thing. But that's also how we could easily think in every area of our life. God, I'm fine. I struck it three times. Instead of, God, how many times do you want me to strike? God, I want to be in stride with you. And if you give me arrows, I want to handle them the way that I'm supposed to. I don't want to be caught in this story. I want to exert and utilize the grace that I've been given to the fullest measure. Do we have any neglected events in our life? Floor, beam, vaults, bars. Are you neglecting anything in your life? Is there a dimension of your life which is overlooked or is being clouded or shrouded by some strategic form of justification? It's like, well, you know, it's not as important as this one, which, you know, in certain situations, I can totally understand that. In other words, if your, family, if your walk with God has fallen to pieces and your family has fallen to pieces, I'm going to say, hey, you know what? Maybe you should step down from ministry for a while and focus there. Okay, so again, that's an order of operations thing. However, we're talking about a maturing life, which what we want is strength at each of these points 
And if there's a point in your life that you are, you are just sort of covering over saying, the reason I don't share the gospel is I, you know, I, I just feel other people are better suited for it or they have more time. I just don't have the time. And so we strategically excuse ourselves. That's what I'm trying to expose in us is don't let yourself off the hook because that hook is where God wants you so that you will call out for something that is not in your own pockets. You'll say, God, I need you to meet me there. Is there a sloppy zone of our life where a sharpening and a tightening may be needed? Areas of potential neglect. So this is how I'm gonna finish. I'm just gonna walk through the four zones of our life. I'll call them the four events because that's the name of the message, right? And then I'll just give some questions. And they're questions for all of us. So let's look at the pursuit of God as one of our zones. And obviously, how's your life doing spiritually if you're really good financially and you're not pursuing God? That's an irrational thing to even be considering. And so the evaluation of our life is going to start here. This is like priority number one. Time. How are you handling your time and God? As A.W. Tozier says, the man who would know God must spend time with him. Energy. When you come to God, do you give your best? Remember when Abby's approaching that vault? She is supposed to put her power into that board, springboard. I don't know what it's called. Sorry, guys. And she's supposed to, boom, hit it hard. Because something to do with the height that they get is part of their, you know, their scoring. Well, how about us? We put our all into that run and boom, we put our energy into our walk with God. We don't just be like, okay, I did it, God. God, are you satisfied for the day because I gave you five minutes here? You know, because I know that that's important to you. As opposed to, God, this matters to me. And we boom, 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 run down that little runway and boom, stick our feet on that board and go flying. Obviously, I'm not a gymnast, guys. I don't know how to mimic these things. I know some of you are like, Eric, could you show us? Worship. Thanksgiving, praise, study, listening, sacrifice. God, here I am. It's yours. Take it. See, these are aspects of our life that I think the Holy Spirit needs to touch at a deeper level. I'm not saying that it's absent. Some of us, this could be our strength. I'm just bringing it up as to allow the Spirit of God to basically touch different areas of our life. The love of a spouse You'll notice the list isn't altogether different. Time. It's very similar to our walk with God. If you don't spend time with your spouse, I mean, you can spend time. Leslie and I have talked about this for years. You can brush your teeth next to someone. You can sleep next to someone in a bed. That doesn't mean you're spending time with them. It's like, look, I was around them all day. Leslie and I used to travel the world and speak about relationships. Oh, that, that has to build a strong relationship. Speaking about relationships doesn't cultivate a relationship one iota. Isn't that an amazing thought? We could talk about our marriage, talk about our love story, talk about all the things that, oh, God did, and that's not cultivating our relationship. Isn't that an irony? You actually have to spend time together and cultivate intimacy. Energy, same thing. Boom! Stick your feet on that, what is that board called, Abby, so I don't keep... Oh, I actually said that. It's a springboard. That's what I said. Maybe I know more about gymnastics than I thought. Thoughtfulness. Thoughtfulness is an exercise. Have you ever had it where you weren't thoughtful? If you're a guy here, I mean, those are bad moments. Uh, one of the classic illustrations, was it in Florida? We're in Florida. Family vacation. I'm distracted with family stuff, okay? I'm just going to say that. It was Leslie's, was it our anniversary or birthday? 
birthday. She remembers this very, very well, obviously. So it's her birthday, and I go to the store with Hudson, and she's thinking in her mind that I'm going to grab some flowers for him, because that's what, of course, Eric would do, right? Instead, I grab some eggnog, because I wasn't thinking about her birthday. I'm just, it was terrible. And I, I come home, and she's looking at me like, um, is that all you, you got? And then I had the realization of what was going on, and so I tried to pass off the fact that I bought the eggnog for her. It's like, well, I got you some eggnog. She goes, I don't even drink eggnog, but I can celebrate your birthday. <laughs> I was terrible. And it's the lack of being sharp. I was, I was on the beam and I lost the points. Okay, guys, I fell off. That's terrible. Guardedness in speech. Every word matters. Have you ever had it in, in a marriage where you're just sloppy with your choice of words? I have been sloppy with my choice of words at different times, and there's other times where I'm tight, where I'm strong, and it's like, I'm very aware. Other times, it's just like, look, I didn't mean it that way. Yeah, but you still said it that way. And the way you say it, the, your choice of words actually impacts the situation. You have to be tight. You have to be graceful. You have to enter these zones and these events on purpose. Thankfulness. We oftentimes can take our spouse for granted and we stop saying things like, thank you for doing that. Thank you for picking up all the kids uh, today. Thank you for going the extra mile on this. Thank you for doing this for me. Just forget, right? Because they know. Remember that Fiddler on the Roof statement? Uh, the guy said, look, I told you I, that I loved you when I married you. If that ever changes, I'll, I'll let you know. Uh, and yet that's not how you cultivate a love relationship. Study. You don't just study God and his word, you study your spouse. Sacrifice. The shepherding of children. Time, energy, thoughtfulness, guardedness in speech, thankfulness, study, sacrifice. Boy, these are awfully similar to each other. Each one demands something from us that is very similar to what a gymnastics exercise demands. I'm entering into this zone and I need to be marked with a gracefulness a strength and a tightness. I need to measure every single movement of my soul right now, my thoughts, my attitudes, so that I am a life giver instead of a drainer. And the pouring out for others, time, energy, thoughtfulness, willingness to speak, that's, that's something you have to bring to the table. It's like when we get into this exercise, I have to be willing to do something. If you're not willing, you're not gonna do it. If you don't start out your day, when you go outside of your door, if you don't start with the willingness, you like turn on the willingness button or the knob, you're like, I'm willing, I'm willing to share Jesus today. You're not going to. You have to start proactively. Willingness to give. You ever had it where you have resource and yet if you haven't turned on the knob or turned up the dial for the willingness to give of your resource, you have a tendency to justify why you shouldn't in that situation. Because oftentimes the best situations to give are immediate, they're right in front of you, and you don't have the small bill in your pocket. You ever heard the half crown story from Hudson Taylor? <laughs> he has this huge amount of money in his pocket, this guy's, and he keeps telling God, God, if I had less, if I had a smaller bill, I could give it to him, but I can't give all I have. But you have to turn on the knob when you start out the day. God, I'm willing to give of what you've given to me. Willingness to be rejected. That's a knob you have to turn on. You wake up in the morning, God, I'm willing to be rejected today. If you're not, you'll cower. 
You have to be willing. You have to be ready. This is an event that you're entering into. You have to know what it demands of you. Willingness to be inconvenienced. If you are thinking as an American, you will never be inconvenienced. We've been trained to seek convenience, but everything in the kingdom of God is to move us in the direction of inconvenience. So as a result, this exercise that we are being brought into, this event, is going to tax us and demand us. It's not easy on the way we are built as humans. I look at gymnastics and every time I'm thinking, I didn't think a human could do that. I, the first time I ever came to pick up Abby from her practice, I remember thinking, how do these girls do this? They're like flying all over the place. My body, if I do a forward roll, I pass out. Well documented. I am like, sure, how does a human body do that? That's the way Christianity should be. Whoa, what is this? It's exercise, practice. To be a good gymnast is hours and hours of training a week. To be a great Christian, to have a great marriage, to have great, a great family, to actually have an effective, impacting ministry with your life takes focus. You cannot have ache and sin in your tent and expect to win the all-around. Every single one of us in here is shortchanged. We do not have what it takes to do this life. So we could feel the weight and the crushing weight of this responsibility to live this perfect life. That's why I started with the grace gap. This it actually isn't up to you to perform it all. It's up to you to be willing to allow the Spirit of God to invade your life and elevate your living. If he convicts you about something, correct it. If he says, this is where I want you to attend to, I want you to go home and do this, you do it. Turn the knob on right now and say, God, yes, is my answer. Father, we need grace. Lord, we esteem your way of living. And we do not want to live lives that can be explained in the natural sense. We want to, we want to live lives that can only be explained in the Jesus sense. Lord, we need you in order to do that. So here we are. Search our tents, Lord Jesus. Don't let us sneak out of this message with self-justification and presumption. Lord, I pray that you would deal with us as, this, as the church so that we could see clearly to help others. We love you. It's in the precious name we pray. Amen. This message was brought to you by the team at Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Listen to our weekend message live at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings, or join us for Daily Thunder Monday through Friday at 8.15 a.m. For more information, go to live.ellersley.com. We invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day, a week, or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellerslie.com. Thanks for listening.